Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, a part of the amazing FBA family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader, co-hosted by myself, Michael Vizi, and Jason Miles, top 1% Shopify store owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving e-commerce business, look for The E-Commerce Leader on your favorite podcast app and subscribe today. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the 10K Collective Podcast, the place to be for six, seven, and eight-figure Amazon sellers, a subset of the amazing FBA podcasts. Delighted to welcome back an old friend of the show, Brian Johnson, who has coached now over 20,000 brands to sell bread on Amazon, known as a PPC guru or, or Amazon ads guru, I suppose, to be specific. And Canopy Management, their company, is there to help brands to advertise and sell better to become the category kings of their niche. What a cool phrase, category king. So welcome back to the show, Brian. Glad to be back. Thanks, Michael. We're going to talk in today's episode about optimization because we had a chat before the show about traffic and conversion optimization. And you said, what should we do first? I said, I think we should do conversion optimization first because there's no point in sending traffic to a listing that doesn't convert. And you said, yeah, I'm really passionate about that. So tell me a bit more about why you're passionate about this topic. You know, I mean, I, it gets, especially this year, you know, it just continues to get more and more competitive. And we see that on any kind of business or e-commerce platform is just it's natural to progress and become more and more challenging. You know, in the early years, it's very easy. You can pretty much get away with anything and, and it doesn't take much in order to win sales and win the audience. But as the, the platform gets more cluttered, as Amazon has, because of so many sellers, Amazon tries to pack more and more listings and, and ads and everything in there. It gets a little, it starts getting compressed. Now, at some point, they'll back off of that again in order to kind of give the shoppers a some relief from kind of the overwhelm but right now it is very compressed somebody goes out and they do a search for i don't know an electronic dartboard for instance on amazon and they're hit back with like oh here's four thousand results you know and, and which one do you want you know and they're usually the, the shopper usually has a very short attention span as a result of smartphones, television, you know, YouTube, all these things, we've definitely gotten a lot more, have a very short attention span and we want instant gratification. So our ability to focus has diminished. And of course it doesn't help when we're given too many choices. When we go out and shop on a site like, uh, like Amazon, it puts us in a position where we oftentimes we don't even see it. It's back in the, the Google marketing days, uh, we would refer to it as banner blindness, basically, where the, the kind of like the headline banner ads, people would stop seeing them after a while because they saw them all the time, every day, you know, always. And so they started calling it banner blindness when people just would just mentally block out certain things. Well, that's what we're seeing on Amazon now is just a standard listing or an ad. We're starting to get that blindness and our listings are becoming more and more invisible. So typically most people know me for everything from beginner through advanced advertising strategies on Amazon. I'm still very passionate about that, but this year is become more challenging, especially in some of these niches that we used to consider to be very competitive. Now, all of a sudden you get like personal protection of the PPE kind of, of products, hyper competitive to 300,000 competing products. Uh, you're all, all trying to vie for that one customer coming through and searching. 
So it really makes a huge difference in order to, in the advertising and the marketing to make sure that we can not only grab the attention of the shopper in the first place, and then of course, obviously keep them and convert them to a sale on your product listing page. And I see way too many brands every single day that do it wrong. They're using a model that was, you know, three years ago and they haven't adapted, they haven't pivoted, they haven't refreshed to what they, they're, they're not talking to their audience the way they should be today. Great. That makes total sense. So I guess to put it in a nutshell, it's not going to be viable to run adverts anymore to anything other than really well set up listings because that conversion point makes the economics work, I guess, in, in a way that it's impossible yeah, it helps a lot. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely true. Like through, for instance, like holidays and like big events, you know, Prime Day, Cyber, you know, Cyber Week, all these, when there's a lot of traffic, my recommendation is typically like focus all of your ad spend down into your highest set of converting products, your highest set of converting campaigns, your highest set of converting targets. That way you actually get money back out. You're actually profitable for the season. You're not simply just have this vanity number of sales. So yes, I completely agree with you on that is you, you have to, you have to focus. It doesn't mean that you have to abandon your other products, but you need to do something about those other products in order to make them come back in the eyes of the, the audience, which is very doable. Very doable. Sounds very positive. So tell me uh, then you were just about to, I was just about to follow up what you were saying. What is it that people are doing wrong that worked three years ago in their listings, but doesn't do now? And I guess then we, we also follow up with what works instead. Where do I start? I'll try to keep it to the to, to kind of like the, the most common five that I see. Typically, I see a lot of brands that are using a keyword stuff or word stuff titles as if they were speaking, as if they were having their listing speak to the search algorithm of Amazon. Amazon hasn't needed our help on that for two years, right? Because their AI has gotten advanced enough. They already know what, the, what we're selling as soon as we create the listing. We don't need to stuff words and phrases into titles and content fields in order to tell them what it is that we're selling. They know, right? And so the biggest mistake on that one, of course, is don't just have a bunch of random words, you know, and include things like, for instance, like the biggest offenders are those who say, who have a title that says, okay, this object or this product for men, women, boys, girls, children, people, you know, like they just stuff it thinking that they're actually going to get some visibility from that and you're not, okay? <laughs> that is a practice that died off, you know, a couple of years ago. And so speak to the audience, tell them the benefit of your product right up front. Don't sit there and you can certainly have a, a top, you know, a, a target search phrase in your title. That's fine because you want to connect with the shopper, but make sure that you're including what is the benefit of your product to that shopper? Not simply just, hey, here's a string of words that hopefully I get more search, you know, search volume. From. Interesting. So I guess it's become a bit more like Google in the sense that you can rely on the algorithm to search a bit more like a human being would search. And the old keyword stuffing thing, yeah. which was all the rage in Google and then suddenly really wasn't and got you, you know, banned, is kind of getting coming to Amazon, which makes sense. Okay, so that's the first thing. Don't stuff the title. What are the other kind of classic areas with their listings? So the second one is simply just not paying attention to what the, the competition is doing and just kind of blending in with the competition. Whether you were an innovator in this market and you were the first one and everybody copied you, or if you followed and basically used everybody else's example as your template for success and created your listing, your title, your image based off of what everybody else was doing, you need to flip that. 
Okay. If you're, you're, if you're an innovator and one of the originals, it's time for you to pivot and create something new to stand out from the competition. If you had copied what everybody else was doing, it's time to look at that competition, look at the search results and do something different. First of all, look at is in the search results page, take your top search term for your product, bring down, you know, bring up uh, the Amazon search result page and look at what is the commonality. One of the things I like to do is I like to, you know, you shrink the percentage view on your browser window so that you can see, you know, like 20 results. You can't really read the title that well, and that's okay, because what you're looking for is, first and foremost, on the images, which products stand out compared to which products blend in, which ones all kind of look the same. One of the examples that I've trained on before with my own agency team is look at something like executive office chairs, for instance. If you look at, you know, if you do a search on Amazon for executive office chair, you'll see a whole bunch of the same kind of image. Okay, here's an office chair. It's on a white background. It's pointing off to the right hand side. There's nothing special about it. But what catches your eye is not what is consistent about those. It's what stands out. What's odd about this picture? What, what is out of place? And usually that is things like, oh, here's this one office chair in among this sea of main images that come back in the search results, they're all pointing to the right. This one is pointing to the left. It caught my eye. That is the very first challenge you've got to do. Well, I should say other than having Amazon actually show your listing or your ad, but grabbing it from a shopper standpoint, the first challenge you've got is not getting them to convert, not getting them to click. They've got to see your listing or your ad in the first place. Get them stop, you know, stop scrolling with their eye you know, especially it's even worse on a mobile phone, right? Because we're just, we've got a thumb. We're just like, you know, just scroll up, 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 you know, and, and we pass by things very quickly. Look for the things in your search results that stand, that, that are consistent and do the opposite. If everybody's pointing to the right, point to the left. I don't care if, you know, one of the courses taught five years ago that, you know, buyer psychology is that if the product is pointing toward the buy box that they're going to buy. If everybody's doing it, then you're not going to be seen. Do the opposite of what your competition is doing to stand out, to grab the eyeball. Otherwise, you don't have their attention in the first place. Absolutely. And that reminds me of something that Rick Cesario, who was like one of the people who pioneered QVC, sort of TV type stuff, direct response TV in the right. 90s. He said, different is better than better, which is a great little phrase. And I guess that kind of says exactly what you just said. It's like, never mind that in theory, this works. If everyone's doing it, it doesn't work. <laughs> so do something different. Right. Zig when they zag is another way of putting it, right? So, yeah. Well, and that's that's kind of, that'll that'll actually kind of transition to the, into the third one, mm. actually. The third one would be making the big mistake of not being right up front with what is a key benefit. And ideally, kind of like what you said, what is the the unique benefit of your product to that shopper? And have that in the first 80 characters, 80 characters of the title. Now, the reason I say 80 characters is not to say that you need to limit your, your title to, to 80 characters. I'm saying that most mobile devices, most, mobile, most smartphones on the Amazon app will start cutting off at about 80, 85 characters. And so if they can't see the rest of your words or the compelling benefit that is in the 100th, 100th position, then there's nothing that's going to differentiate in the words. Because if, they, if you get their attention by having a slightly different image, Pointed a different direction, different contrast. If everybody is putting, you know, 
15 accessories that go with the product on the main image and they're just stuffing the main image as hard as they can. And you come in, you've got one clean core image, you know, core item in there. And then your product detail page says, here's all the other 15 you get. You're going to stand out. You're going to catch the eye. In the title though, is that's kind of the next piece. They pause for a second because your image or something like another trick on this that I teach actually to stand out is if everybody is, if no, I should say, if, if nobody is using the a coupon, that green label for a coupon badge stands out like a sore thumb among search results. Now, the opposite is true too. If everybody's using it, don't use it. You're trying to get them to visually stand out. So, but the, the second piece after they get caught by the visual is then they're going to look and actually look at your title. If your title has the exact same phrase and, and, you know, just not compelling uh, content at all, and it looks like everybody else's, your product does not stand out. There's no reason they should pick your over somebody else's that is the same price or uh, cheaper or even more expensive, right? Over somebody else's, there's nothing in the title that is pulling, pulling them in, it's gaining their curiosity. One of the ways that we do that when it comes to you put, a, you put a benefit statement in like one to two words, literally that short, because again, you don't have an attention span. One to two words in the first 80 characters of your title that speaks to the benefit. Now, here's where it gets a little tricky where you have to kind of think through this a little bit further. Um, this is something that, that I work through, you know, clients and my agency team on, on how to do, but the short version of that is try to identify something that you may know intimately the, the product. You may know that it's made of this material and you know the cost to manufacture it. You don't even think about it anymore. You've, you've seen it too many times. But the average shopper who's looking for the product may not realize that you have some kind of reinforced plastic in there that it doesn't matter if, well, that's an industry standard. Everybody uses reinforced plastic. But if you're the only one in this list of, you know, sea of products that all seem the same to mention reinforced plastic or double stitching or something that kind of says, hey, here's a, here's a better feature or a better, even better, here's a better benefit to them that nobody else is mentioning, even if it's the same thing that anybody else could state, you're the one who's stating it in your product title. And therefore, you're going to get the curiosity of the shopper to click through to your listing. Right. That's the second battle. You got their attention. Now you got them to click through onto your listing because now they're curious about like, okay, what does this mean? I'm confused a little bit, maybe what these words, but those words sound a little bit compelling because I want that benefit or that feature sounds like something I might want and I don't know anything about. Now, the third piece, the third challenge on that, which I guess would be the fourth thing when it comes to a listing optimization is once you've got them to your product detail page, You've got to answer that question. If you beg the question, I'm not talking about clickbait, but I'm talking about if you beg the question to beg their curiosity in the title and they came to your listing, in the first bullet point, in the rest of the images, in the video, you better be answering that question in more detail to satisfy their curiosity that, yep, this is a cool feature or this is a cool benefit to have. This is the product for me because it has it. And nobody else has mentioned this. What I think is really interesting is what you're saying about the title is it used to be a ranking mechanism. In other words, you stuff it with keywords because the algorithm didn't know how to identify your product and maybe you'd rank better. And then once people had clicked through to the listing, then you'd rely on the photography. And what you're saying to me now, if I understand, is the title is more of a click 
mechanism. In other words, you rank because your picture looks different and you know you rank anyway. Let's ignore that. You get the click right. partly because your picture looks different and stops the scroll and partly because people go, oh, what's that thing? And they click to find out a benefit. So there's a exactly. very interesting, for me, that feels like a, quite a big change in the function of the title within the sort of realm of... of right. And the algorithm will give a product credit for just just your your you've got engagement. Mm-hmm. You're clicking through on your ad. The same thing that works on ads works on listings. Is it if shoppers are clicking through, Amazon sees that and says, "Well, you know, we're showing this high up on we're showing up on page one, whether it's an ad or a listing. We're showing up on page one. Shoppers are clicking on it after they search. They must see relevance to the search. Therefore, as a search engine." We are providing correct results because it, these products that are showing up on top are satisfying the need of the shopper, therefore keeping them on Amazon longer. And as many people have already heard, you keep them on longer, the more they're going to spend. Our new partner for today's episode is Ovals, the stock management experts. According to Retail Dive, e-commerce store owners lost $22 billion in sales because of being out of stock. 15% of consumers actually switched sites to buy the item if they encountered an out-of-stock product online. Don't let that be your customer. Ovals can help you avoid these mistakes. With Ovals, you can check for stock errors and improve inventory accuracy to increase sales. Ovals want to help you grow your sales with a free inventory accuracy cheat sheet. All our listeners will get two months of an Ovals paid plan for free. You can get your free months by visiting ovals.io forward slash amazing FBA. That's O-V-A-L-Z dot I-O forward slash amazing f for freddy b for bertie a for alpha very old school metric in retail isn't it the longer somebody's in a store more like they are to buy mm. so i guess that amazon's you know got their version of that so i kind of uh, distracted you slightly there from you were saying about begging a, a cool question in the title and then you got to answer the question in the listing so t- tell us a bit more about how that works yeah i mean i would say that you know you're kind of saying as far as like you know with the title it's like like most sellers, they set up this thing, you know, two years ago or five years ago or something like that. And they've never changed it. Right. And they're scared to change it. You know, it's like, Oh, what if I, what if I, I get deranked for my, you know, my three keywords, you kind of have to pick your battle, but it is, you definitely need to start talking to the audience more than you're talking to Amazon and certainly differentiating, standing out like a sore thumb, differentiating from your competition. So you can grab the attention of the shopper, but you bring them over. If you add something like you know, like one of the things that, that I put in as, as an example that I teach when it comes to the executive office chair is in the title, it says Apex Stitching. Of course, everybody knows what Apex Stitching is, right? Well, nobody, right? I nobody have no knows. idea. <laughs> I don't know what this is, but it sounds cool. It begs the question. It, Apex Stitching is actually something that simply in, in the industry of manufacturing office chairs, it's simply a, a way of double uh, stitching the top padded crest so it doesn't separate or flatten on the back of a, an executive office chair. Now, we as a seller or as a buyer, we could probably care less, but your job right now is not to close them on the deal. Your, your job was to get them to your listing. And that kind of that kind of feature, one or two word feature or one or two word benefit that stands out from the competition and begs their curiosity without being clickbait, if people are familiar with that, is going to get them through the listing. But they're asking the question of like, okay, what does this actually mean? I'm coming for more information. If you don't answer that right up front, 
first bullet point, additional images, and one of the videos, one of the three videos you can put into the listing, then you're you're going to lose them because they're still they're confused. They're a little bit confused, but they've got curiosity. They come to your listing. Now you kind of have to make sure that you're answering that question and not and, and doing everything you can. <laughs> which is another part of conversion rate optimization, everything you can in your product listing to limit, mitigate, reduce any any kind of content that is going to introduce confusion or doubt to the shopper. Because for any of you who have studied buyer psychology, confusion and, and doubt, the slowdown of the sale reduces the likelihood of conversion. So you don't want to introduce anything in your listing that introduces confusion or doubt. We used to the easy one on that is things like bad grammar or misspelling that creates doubt or confusion in a shopper and they move on, they go elsewhere. Here's something I was actually just doing recently is I was looking at some, some workout equipment for my home gym and I go on Amazon and I'm looking through it. I'm looking at the listing. It's like, okay, I know I've got, you know, 83 inches on height that, that I've got to work with. And I go in there and they're like going, this is 2,100 millimeters. I'm like, great. I'm American. I need to. I need to actually translate this now. So I need to actually convert the units. Anything that slows down, if you you know, if you're talking to an American audience, you better be using imperial metric. Sorry, imperial. You know, standard measurements. You know, you can certainly include other ones, but make sure that you're talking to the audience. You're not simply just using manufacturer specs. You're speaking to primarily to the benefits. You're answering that question that brought them in. You're talking more about the benefits than the features and what most sellers think and they most sellers spend their most time on is things like a plus content that only 20 percent of the shoppers will actually ever see it's not your priority Uh, it's a very good point and i think a lot of what this stuff comes down to is exactly what you articulated so very clearly how brutal the environment is and how critical certain things are and there's a very much 80 20 analysis isn't it so you know 20 percent of your results were going to come from 80 percent of the sorry 80 percent of your results are going to kind of come from things like the main image the title and the first couple of images if you're lucky right as you say a plus content worth having for that bottom 20 percent. but yeah it's, it's not the killer thing and as you said i mean i guess it's a kind of translation culturally in the broader sense i mean saying this is 2100 millimeters to an american is practically like speaking german to them and that's a stupid idea but i mean also um, <laughs> there are other things that you could do in reverse that well, i know you're not a specialist in germany for example but if an american starts shouting about f- benefits in germany that's equally culturally inappropriate because they like to talk about features all day it's just a cultural difference exactly. right? when we do listing translation for other marketplaces we'll actually hire somebody who is a native english, a native uh, language uh, speaker of that country and actually lives in that country. So they both have not only the native language, but also the cultural relevance. So they can pick words out and say, it's like, that doesn't make sense. That's a, you know, that might be an English um, phrase that nobody else understands in the rest of the world, which is not a common, <laughs> but, uh, you know, each culture has their own way of using language. And you want to make sure that that is, you know, don't don't use things like Google Translate. You know, that's kind of an easy one there. Don't use Google Translate. Don't use Amazon Translate. Make sure that you actually hire somebody off of you know, Fiverr or Upwork or something like that who is native, lives in the country, and is native in tongue that can actually do a proper 
listing translation for you. Absolutely. And the last thing I would just warn Americans just against using American English in what I would call English, but I guess we call British English. So the word pants will get a lot of people sniggering, which means undershorts, I guess, whatever. Just things that are absolutely standard for Americans mean completely different things here if you're not careful. So even that, you need to, it's a simple thing, but I've seen it. I mean, you just need to just make sure you make no assumptions, assumptions being the mother of all F-ups, as we, we say here, or rather rudely, rude than that. Yeah, because all that, yeah, anything like like bad grammar, uh, that simply just maybe a cultural variation or misspellings. You know, we do that all the time. We kind of snicker and joke and listen. So it's like, oh, obviously that was somebody who's, you know, the Chinese manufacturer posted up and they've got bad English and like that. But what it does is it, is it creates drag in our decision and distrust yeah. in like, well, if they can't even get the language right, then what else is wrong? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for example, if you're buying clothing from America, they have different sort of sizing traditions. And yeah, right. it makes you question suddenly what is behind this simple bit of wrong grammar or, or just inappropriate cultural language. And yeah, you're right. It is just a... Uh, gives mistrust i think the chinese are the best at that if you like they get they put actually reasonably decent if boring images and then they completely screw themselves up by writing something like happy time all over it which is a dead giveaway to anyone who's shopped right. on amazon for one five minutes that it's chinese and then for me i just immediately take five dollars off what i'm prepared to pay for it it's as simple as that um right well like you said it's like it, that that is the case across any culture across any country mm -hmm. across different language even even you know american english versus you know, British English, yeah. you know, UK English, right? Is like, you know, simple, like use of a single word, it can create drag. Yeah. It can create distrust. So it's like, well, they didn't even take the time to even, they're obviously not native, you know, so. <laughs> As you say, it's taking, taking care of a lot of details so that actually we have to spend a lot of time very slowly, meticulously fine-tuning things, so or we or someone in the team, such that when people are shopping, it's absolutely seamless. Like, and, and I guess the opposite of drag is like sort of flow or seamlessness or whatever, make it very slick experience. So we've talked about keyword stuffing titles. We've talked about the main image blending of the competition. You've talked about not being upfront about key benefits. This is really cool, like using the title as a sort of click mechanism. It's a new, new idea to me, which makes sense. If you begged a question, makes you answer it. So what are the, what's the sort of fifth or other, other couple of things that, that people get wrong? Well, so that one, of course, is speaking within the listing, speaking to the benefits more than the features. Okay. Don't compare it's like, oh, this has got, you know, polyester, blend, Kevlar, or whatever. It's like, don't care. What does it mean? Oh, well, you're, you're immune to bullets. Oh, okay. That actually means something to me. You know, <laughs> you, know? Um, you know, it turns you into a superhero. You know, <laughs> is this, kind of is this relevant and necessary for cult for, for life in uh, big American cities as I understand right now, but like, <laughs> immune to bullets <laughs> again, the cultural difference between the UK and the U S perhaps we're joking apart. I it mean, it really depends on, yeah. On which political party is winning or losing as far as how violent it gets. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, without going too far down that road, but I mean, no. <laughs> let's talk about benefits and features. So how do people sort of transform something that's a bit too features heavy into something that's more benefit led what's the simple sort of process people should get yeah well of course a recent change uh, that just came up of course and that's going to have i mean you know every single one of you who has a listing that has all caps in your bullet points and your features you've got to go in and you've got to edit that out anyway right so you've got to if you're going to be in there editing each of your listings so your listing doesn't get pulled in the next two what i would recommend is you know always start with you know 80 20 rule Pareto, right? What are the 20% of your products that are producing 80% of whatever result you want to, you want to get, whether that is ranking or sales or profitability. Profit is always the one we go after. And, you know, focus on those 
first, you know, bite off the, the most critical part of your cash flow and your lifestyle, your business, and focus on those first. Now, from a benefit standpoint is it, you can include the features, but always lead with a benefit in each of the, the bullet points, for instance. You know, what is it that ultimately, the, the question I always ask is, this has a feature, great. What's in it for me? Why should I even care about this one feature? Don't expect me to know what this feature does for me. Don't expect me to know what, what this ingredient does for me. You know, if you, you, got a, you got a product, it's like, oh, it has curcumin in it. So it's like, I don't know what, you know, I don't, I don't care. I don't know. I don't know what that means. You know, the same kind of thing is, you know, I saw that recently on, it was on, it was like a, a men's, you know, something that's up, up and coming more is, of course, is the men's grooming and, fa- you know, skincare lines and that kind of stuff. And of course, you've got people who understand the industry and have been using, you know, skincare for, for decades, you know, their whole life. And all of a sudden they're saying, it's like, oh, for men who are searching for this, we're going to use the same kind of ter- terminology. It's like, oh, here's, you know, here's a tough men's skincare with hyaluronic acid. Men are like, I don't even know what that means. Like you're speaking Greek to me right now. And so make sure that if your audience is, you know, some would say, well, it's going to be the the spouse that buys it for it. But but really, you'd be surprised if you actually look at brand analytics, you can get a better picture of who your actual target audience is. Speak to that audience. There are some of you who have products. And if you look at your brand analytics and look at the demographics of the audience that is buying that particular buying from your brand, or you can search by ASIN in brand analytics and see what is it that, you know, what's the profile of your shopper? You know, like, are they educated? What's their income level? Are they male, female? If you tune your listing and the benefits to speak to who your target audience is, you're much more likely to get that conversion of that product. So it's important to make sure that you lead, like saying your bullet points, you lead with what's in it for me, and then follow with this is the feature that'll get you that benefit. Totally makes sense. And by the way, thank you for that. Reminding me about the, the brand analytics. Well, first of all, thank you for the really crass thing. So I'm doing a tiny bit of management work for a client at the moment. And as soon as you said about the caps, I thought, oh, wow, I checked the listing today and I wasn't looking for that. And it just struck me they've still got caps in their bullets. So I must go and do that. So if anyone's hearing this and, and it's new to you or you've just forgotten, please don't forget. <laughs> They'll get you a possibly an account suspension these days, I understand. They've really suddenly got a lot more violent about reinforcing that. But the second thing you just said, the reminder that brand analytics gives you some demographic information and many of us have brand analytics now that's really powerful and i think yeah so targeting a specific demographic is a really fantastic idea i mean yeah especially because like like i'm surprised at how many people don't know and, and honestly i you know do a training on it but in brand analytics if you go to the demographics you can see it's like oh okay here's some general information about people shopping for my brand but if you've got 20 different products or 100 or whatever in the top right hand corner there's a search and you can actually just put in your ASIN and it'll give you the specific demographics of that one ASIN. So you can go more fine grain on that. Now, if you have something like a demand side platform, DSP, you're going to get even more detail, but most brands are not at that scale yet. We certainly work with plenty of clients that we manage their DSP for them, but that provides quite a bit more detail when it comes to the shopper profile. Look for, look for any kind of outliers. That's the thing with demographic information is if you go in and each one of your products, your entire brand is like, oh, okay, it's 49% men and 51% women. And the, the, you know, the distributions are just like really spread out. You don't have anything to work with there. 
There's nothing that's an outlier that stands out. But if you do have a product and you go in, you look at the demographics, you may be surprised at what an outlier might be that you can then kind of, okay, if I'm trying to speak to somebody who's standing in front of me and they, and they, they fit this profile, what would I tell them? You know, what's my elevator pitch in 30 seconds that says, why do you want my product? Not, oh, it's got hyaluronic acid. Don't make them think. Just tell them what's the benefit. What's in it for me if I have your product? Absolutely. Make, don't make them think. Make yeah, I think that's really, yeah, I, I think don't that's really lead for consumer product sales. No, I've got, I've got Netflix yeah, to watch. Absolutely. I've got, I've got a load <laughs> of things to click on on Facebook and get really angry about. And that probably applies within the UK or US right now. I mean, uh, so yeah, you're right. People are very, very, very distracted on their phones, particularly because I mean, they're getting notifications popping up on Facebook Messenger, whatever you like. So absolutely. Probably a great place to wrap this episode up because you, you've, you've said some really powerful stuff that I'd love to leave talking of attention span. I'd love to leave those things resonating in people's heads. If people want to learn more about this topic from you, Brian, obviously, you have a deep level of expertise in this stuff how do they get hold of your what can you offer people yeah i'm i'm all over the place here i've been doing this for a while i will say that to start certainly there's the the facebook group amazon ppc troubleshooting that's a great active group obviously that talks more about the advertising side of the house more of my content that talks about listing optimization and, and differentiation and product positioning that is going to be along with my advertising actually is on my, my YouTube channel. Um, and I can provide you the link for, for that. Otherwise, you can probably just do a search on YouTube for like Brian R. Johnson PPC or something like that. And you could probably find me. I don't have it cleverly named yet. So, well, yeah, that sounds really good. So, basically, the Amazon PPC troubleshooting Facebook group, listing optimization. And so, looking on the, the YouTube channel, we can certainly put links in the show notes, which will be at 10kcollective.com for anyone listening. And uh, if people wanted to consider working with your agency, obviously Canopy Management, you got it on the T-shirt, so it's still alive and well, and you're still running that. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's canopymanagement.com, of course. We certainly work with, we are on the service. We've, we've got a phenomenal team. We, we hire well. <laughs> we've got a very high bar as far as, but yeah, so the, the clients we typically work with, we do have um, some different options. I would say that probably it may not be a good fit if this is your, you know, if you're just starting out and you've only got, you know, one or two products, then it's probably not going to be a good fit and better to kind of go and look at some of the free resources from the Facebook group. And, you know, because I've got guides and that kind of stuff as far as advertising, you know, and then of course, follow me on, on YouTube is a great way to start getting some of the education in place that you need in order to grow to a scale where it makes sense to outsource. And what sort of size would it make sense for you guys to work with people? Well, we've got a couple of different options as, as little as, you know, 10,000 uh, per month in, in sales. Typically our more of our full service um, agency where we really hit, you know, the afterburners we do phenomenally well is typically more like in the 30,000 per month range and up from there. We've got, Smaller accounts that we have options for, um, and then of course our larger accounts, we've got a much more diverse portfolio of things that we can do in order to move all the levers to increase sales visibility. And of course, profitability is our number one objective. That's good to hear. Not all agencies seem to be geared to the idea of profit. So that's re reassuring. Well, look, Brian, great stuff. I mean, really, some really good takeaways, some very simple, but very profound consequences, which is always really, really good. So thank you so much for coming back on the show. Absolutely. My pleasure. I look forward to next time too.
Thanks so much for listening to the 10K Collective podcast, part of the family of amazing FBA podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader. The podcast is hosted by yours truly and Jason Miles, multi-million dollar Shopify owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be, it's got your name on it. For free guides and mini courses on many topics, go to www.theecommerceleader.com.